Before I launch into this last sermon on the Eucharist series, I want to give a heads up. I intend on devoting the sermons for the next two weekends on the clergy sex abuse scandal. The first will address the factors that created the perfect storm for the scandal. The second will focus on how the average parishioner and the average parish priest can respond to the crisis. We are not helpless. Over the last five weeks, we have seen how Jesus was preparing the chosen people of Israel for the revelation that he is the ego imi, the ea asher ea, the I am who I am, God in our flesh. When he miraculously multiplied the five loaves of barley bread and two fish, the crowds enthusiastically hailed him as the long-awaited prophet. As the spiritual high of the miracle faded, they called him rabbi. And when Jesus challenged them to faith in him, their resistance increased and they addressed him as what? Sir. Then they murmured against Jesus. The Greek meaning they uttered words of sullen discontent. But he would not conform to their understanding of who he is, the son of Joseph, because in fact he is not the son of Joseph. He is the son of the living God. And from murmuring, we saw how they descended into quarreling, fighting among themselves, as Christians do today, insisting that he who is God conformed to the limitations of human wisdom and human logic. Jesus then and today is polarizing. He is divisive because he is the truth of God in human flesh who cannot compromise the truth of who he is. While the fallen nature of man arrogantly insists that truth can only be, must be, what he thinks it ought to be. Human arrogance then and today places itself in a self-destructive confrontation with the holy. We saw how Jesus would not back down. And last week, he pressed them with an incomprehensible claim. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And the gospel uses the Greek word alithis for true, which means to be genuine, to be reliable, to be real. And Jesus brought them to the very precipice of faith, to the very edge of faith. He could not then, he cannot today, he can never force anyone to jump into faith. He can only entice the soul and wait for the soul's response. Today we see a shift in the gospel's focus from the crowd to what the gospel says were many of Jesus's, what? Disciples. People who had made some kind of commitment to Jesus and his teaching. Overwhelmed by the truth of the Eucharist, they said, this saying is hard. Who can accept it? Now this would have been the perfect time if Jesus were a politician to say, hey, guys, hey, I, I misspoke. I'm only speaking symbolically. That would have fit perfectly with man's intellect. 
It would appease the desire of our fallen nature to dictate terms to the Holy One, to insist on Jesus staying within the parameters of what we are comfortable with. Instead, however, Jesus pressed them even further. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. His words are the words of his Father because he is the word of his Father become flesh and dwelt among us. His words convey spirit and life. In other words, they accomplish what he sends them out to do and they never return to him empty-handed. His words have all the power, all the authority, all the reality of his Father's words. Jesus' words to the sick, be healed, resulted in the reality of healing. His words to the dead, rise up, resulted in the reality of life swallowing death. His words to those trapped in sin, your sins are forgiven, resulted in the reality of souls restored to intimacy with the Father. His words, my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, can never therefore be reduced to symbol. His words result in feeding us with the reality of his body and blood, infusing us with the reality of eternal life right here and now. Jesus cannot be unfaithful to his divine nature, which is to speak the words of truth knowing that they are humanity's only hope for salvation, even though he was fully aware they would lead him to the cross. The gospel tells us something rather chilling happened when confronted with the mystery of the Eucharist. Something occurs today as well. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. This deeply wounded Jesus. It still does. Because man, though terribly fallen, is a creature designed for truth. And whenever Jesus' disciples reject him for a savior of their imagination, a savior that, oh, just happens to conform to their opinions, they not only reject the fullness of Jesus, they violate their own nature. The Apostle John records Jesus as saying to the twelve, apparently the only ones left, do you also want to leave? The divine compassion for a man's freedom is absolute. We are awash in a sea of grace, infused with grace to say yes to grace. But God waits for our answer. We are never forced. It is here that we are confronted with what is perhaps the most powerful mystery in the universe, human free will, our most awesome gift, and potentially our greatest downfall.